Hi there, this is Christopher Gurr from the new Broadway musical Amazing Grace, and you're listening to the Play Ball Podcast. All the plays, all the drama, actors talk sports. Now, here's Garth and Sean. Hey, thanks, Christopher Gurr. Thank you, Christopher. That's Christopher Gurr. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you want to see Christopher in Amazing Grace, you yes. can go to AmazingGraceMusical.com. That's right. And you can buy your tickets there. Previews start June 25th. Okay. Why do I, 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 I like don't to know. You accuse you. me. You accuse me every time <laughs> when, you're ta- when you're talking about when a musical is going to begin, I get accused of I something. I pointed at you very forcibly. You do. You need to go see this show. <laughs> uh, definitely go see uh, my good friend Christopher Gurr. That's right. We we're all pointing at you is what we're doing. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I'm pointing at Sean, and he represents all of you. Yes. And you know what I like about you, Sean? Hey, I'm Sean. I'm every woman. Yes, what? <laughs> You're every woman. Yeah. That's right. Uh, no, you're great. You're uh, great. You're, in fact, you. I think you're the greatest podcaster in this room. It's about time. Other than me. There are a lot of, there's a lot of competition out there and a lot of opinions. Yeah. yeah. About who the greatest Everyone's might be. Everyone's got one, Garth. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. The fact that uh, everyone has an opinion about who the greatest is. That's right. Whether it's basketball, baseball, football, or any of these sports. Mm-hmm. And I thought we should, uh, we should discuss how it is that we quantify who the greatest is. Of all time. Analytics. I guess so, although I think some of it seems to be just really just opinion and uh, how much you've had to drink. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. Uh, well said as we're, we're sipping our summer ales That's right. right now. But yeah, I think uh, the number one thing, honestly, that uh, enters into the conversation when people speak of the greatest ever is emotion. I think emotion is a really huge one that you, you everyone kind of develops a fervent connection to the ones they believe are the greatest and after that it's very hard to move them right. off of their favorite guy are you saying because it's because of the loyalty to their team i don't know i i don't think you know not everybody was a chicago bulls fan but i think everybody between the ages of what say 32 and 55 pretty much believe Michael Jordan was the greatest ever because he was the greatest during their prime. Right. And now that we have LeBron James, we have the end of Kobe Bryant, there are some people who will, you know, who ride for Kobe Bryant, and there's right. certainly people coming up who ride for LeBron James. That are going to argue they're the greatest. Exactly. And they meet those people with Jordan, and it becomes a very emotional argument. I always feel like when people talk about basketball, it's rare that they talk about the greatest, and it's more they talk about who's your best starting five, who's the greatest starting five. Yeah. And then everybody gets a team, so my team will have Jordan, yours will have LeBron. Yeah, it's a, it's person. sort of a more fun argument because because the positions are so disparate and guys right. can be, you know, all-time rebounders. You know, you know uh, Tim Duncan, the big fundamental, they call him, right? His right. game is so different from Michael Jordan, and yet they are both, they were clo- obviously both, you know, virtuosos at their respective But positions. still, if you're talking about big men, you're not going to put Duncan as the greatest. You're going to talk about Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain. Well, you might put Duncan as the greatest power forward in, in basketball history. Really? Yeah, he may have moved into number four all-time. It would probably be between him and, believe it or not, Kevin McHale. God, I hated Kevin McHale. Yeah, I know. But you hated him because he was so good. No, I hated him because he his underarm hair. I know. The armpit hair really does kind of... The, but, it's the first thing that leaps to mind, sadly. Yeah, and he just was a frightening-looking individual. Mm-hmm. But so, And yet him, you love the Houston Rockets today. I do like them. How do you I, reconcile that, Garth? I do think that he's a good coach. Yes, he is. I think he's a good coach. He's a fine coach. He's not a great coach, but he's a fine coach. So if we're looking at... We're going to put Duncan at, at the four, the greatest four ever, right? Yeah, I just might. Your center is going to be Will Chamberlain or Bill Russell? You it's going to be pick, Bill right? Russell. It's going to be Bill Russell. Yeah. Better, I mean, ba- better basketball player. Yeah. Chamberlain was a better athlete. We've had this conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Chamberlain was a great athlete. Bill yeah. Russell was a better basketball and, player. I mean, we're leaving, we're leaving Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of the conversation, which is really amazing. Again, we're not talking about who the greats are. We're talking about who is yeah. the greatest. Well, Kareem, I would say, would I would vote 
Kareem second to Bill Russell. Will Chamberlain would not probably really? be in my top four, maybe, wow, maybe okay. top five. Shaquille O'Neal would be – I'd take him over Will. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Do we know what Chamberlain's free throw percentage was? Yes, it was 68%. Did you make that up? I did. <laughs> <laughs> you said it with such an honest face. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think it was anything close to that, actually. Probably high 50s would be my guess. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, all right. So we, I think, I think we both agree then Russell there. So then we're looking sure. at who's your best, I guess, three. I mean, yeah, the best three. Then at that point, you know, that's a big field. It really is a really big field. Uh, I would probably take Larry Bird. Larry Bird would probably be my three. You're talking now, Charles right. Barkley. Right. You're talking, uh, you know, and we left. Akeem Olajuwon out of the center conversation. I never would take, thought he never thought he was a great one. I'd take him over Will Chamberlain. Wow, okay. I would. Wow. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go with Larry Bird. I don't think there's any argument with Larry Bird at the three. It'd be hard. It'd be hard to have an argument there. Dominique, is he a guard or is he a, he play the three? Yeah, I'd call him a three. He probably you know he probably slotted in as a two, but he would be he'd be a, a you know a three. All right, so we got today. Larry Bird is the greatest three of all time. Yeah. Now here's where it gets sticky. Right? Well. Because really, yeah. well no because we're talking about looking at, at yeah I hear I know where you're going this is a this is again we're we're forgetting about guys like Oscar Robertson Jerry West Kuzi I mean these are older players the game was very different there wasn't a three point line right uh, guards were not six foot eight two hundred and sixty pounds that's right but again you have to think of them in the conversation when you're talking about LeBron and you're talking about Kobe yeah. and you're talking about Jordan yeah I think it's Difficult to assess LeBron's total career because he hasn't had one. I think we can we can yeah. do that with Kobe, right? And I would take Jordan over Kobe in a heartbeat, right? Um, and now it's down to Jordan and LeBron. So for right now, it's I'm going to say not only is Jordan, you know, the our shooting guard, he's also the best player in the history of the game. Right. LeBron is going to have something to say, obviously, about both of those things before it's all said and done. Yeah, that's the thing that's amazing is how, as as good as he is. Yeah, we're in the middle of the NBA Finals right now, and he's he's putting up record numbers. Yeah, and we're seeing a guy carry an entire team. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing. So he, a man who might he, be buckling under it, but yeah, right, but he still has as a we long way to go for a career. Yes, he does. For us to see what else that he's going to come up with. Yes, he does. And you could make an argument that you could then shift him down from the two to the three and knock Larry Bird out. Yeah. And you know, I don't think too many people would argue that. Well, and that's the thing to bear in mind too. When we talk about all time great. We're talking about from now back. Yeah. You know. So, you know, 15 years from now, this conversation might be different. We might be looking at just, a, you know, a LeBron-Michael Jordan argument that LeBron might surpass him. Right. And there might be two other guys in the conversation. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's why, that's why we watch the games. Right. Yeah. So, for now, we're going to – I think we're in agreement that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player yeah. of all time. Yeah. With all due respect to all these other great players we've mentioned and probably a couple that we forgot mm – -hmm. They were all great players, but we're talking about who's the greatest, and yeah. it's Jordan. Yep. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. Well, we, we left one position out. Oh, wait a minute. We, we did. didn't get to point guard. Point guard. Oh, right. And point guard is a really difficult conversation for me, anyway. Right. Point guard is, I mean, it, Magic Johnson is the default, but there have been so many great oh, players Isaiah. at that position. Yes. I mean, you you, I, you can run through Isaiah, you know, uh John Stockton, Kuzi, we spoke of, right. Allen Iverson. Goodness, you know, you look at today's game. You got, uh, you're going to have to put. Tony I think Tony Parker's in there. Tony Parker, Westbrook is right. in there. John Wall might put himself in Maybe. there someday. Um, there are great, great 
point guards in the game. Magic Johnson's got to be the guy. What's funny to me is Magic Johnson is is built and plays so differently than any of those other guys played. Yeah, that, six foot nine. That then it just becomes a foregone conclusion that he was the greatest because he just played it so differently. Right. And his court vision was untouchable. Untouchable both because of his just all-court awareness and the fact of his perception, his his unmatched perspective from being so tall. Right. That makes sense. All right. I'll put Magic Johnson as... There you go. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good starting five. Not bad. All right. So Magic Johnson, great. We're we're in agreement on these. That's that's good. Yeah. Now, people would argue, though. I mean, we're going to get arguments. But let's talk about coach then. Who's the greatest coach of all time in basketball? Hmm. I mean, it's hard to argue against our back just because of what he he changed the game and yeah. how much just how much he won. Yeah, and, and I think though for Arbuck a lot of his coaching acumen is tied up in what a great executive he was. He also did a great job not just, you know, he changed the game because essentially he helped integrate it. So it's not you know? it's not just about how he was uh, setting plays and practices, and what he how he was in the locker room. It's also how he was in the front office. Yeah, he was he was a de facto GM. Does that make it an unfair comparison? Because there's so many head coaches that never were that were great coaches. Well, you know, I think in today's day day and age, in today's game, a lot of your better head coaches have a very strong say in and this is this is truer of basketball than it is of practically any other sport okay bill belichick gets this in football but we've seen it trip up a lot of head coaches in football you know wearing both hats right and while most of these great head coaches don't wear both hats in the nba by name they have a great deal of say. Greg Popovich is one of those guys who is a phenomenal coach who moved down from the front office to take the head coaching job in San Antonio. So even as a head coach, he still he still has some say in the front office. Absolutely, he, he those the player the players on his team are players that Greg Popovich. Now it's funny because when, when you and I have talked about coaches, his name never came up. Yeah, that, that's one that uh, in having had these conversations before, that's an, a great omission wow. to, for me. So I love that guy as a head for coach. me. It's for me. I mean, it's hard not to have Phil Jackson on that list only because again. And he won so much, but I also look at the teams that he walked into, yeah. and it's hard to gauge to me, as opposed to someone like Pat Riley, who came into a Knicks team that had talent, but didn't certainly didn't have the kind of talent that Chicago had, or certainly didn't have the talent that the Lakers had when right. Jackson got there. And to see what a difference Pat Riley made, changing the, the culture of that team. And the style of playing that team, which was vastly different than the way he coached in L.A., mm-hmm. that to me made him. I think he's the greatest coach. Just again, maybe because it was my team that got affected. Uh huh. But you know, John Starks was never going to be that player with another coach. Right. It was because of Pat Riley. He was so good. Ewing the same way. I think the style of play. Oakley. People that I think would have been okay players, mm-hmm. but given the style that Riley brought in and the attitude that he brought in, the culture of basketball that he brought in. That played perfectly to those players. Yes, to me, makes him a great coach. This, the way we've talked about Belichick yep. and how Belichick changes his game plan weekly based on who he's facing. Yep, that's I. That's how I think Riley coached when I watched him coach the Knicks. So I, for him, for me, my money, he's the greatest. Wow, that's you know the only thing that uh, undercuts that argument. I think it's a strong argument for Riley. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, is the fact that he just he never won outside of LA as a head coach. Right. Uh, he came close in both Miami and New York, but never closed the deal. It is amazing that he did change the way he coached from Showtime Lakers to the, you know, to the brutality. Yeah, <laughs> to the just the brutal Thugger, basketball thuggery. that both, you know, Ewing and Alonzo Mourning led in their respective we cities. Left, we left Alonzo Mourning off that list. Wow. Yeah, well, he stays <laughs> off the list. So does Patrick Ewing. I mean, yeah, Patrick Ewing is not a top that's five true. all-time right. center, but he's right. a great, great player. Right, all right. 
in the end, you know, it is amazing that he went from he recognized what the strongest parts of his teams were in both cities and was able to coach a different style of both places. He just didn't quite finish the job. That's been Belichick's hallmark is that he's been able to do that. But then do we give Riley credit for going down to Miami and going to the front office and, and building the and you know putting that team together? Absolutely. And- that puts him then over into the red Arbach right. category of great coach, great front office guy. Great so is our manager. is our race now between our back and, and Riley? Are we still putting Phil Jackson in that in that list and maybe Popovich? Yeah, you know what? I don't put Phil Jackson at the top of the list because his players were unmatched when he had them. Right. right? He had with the Lakers, he had the Kobe, two best players Shaq. in the game. You know, at, in their prime or at the beginning of Kobe's prime and Shaq in his. In Chicago, he had the greatest player of all time, arguably not so much, and he had you know another top 50 player in Scottie Pippen all time. He had great supporting cast. Sure. And he also left Chicago to take that job in L.A., and we never saw him struggle with a team until he came to New York as a front office guy, and that ain't going so well. So Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm -hmm. He's not at the top of my list. Popovich has a real argument in my book because if you look over the last 10, 12 years of the San Antonio Spurs – that's been sustained excellence. So it's it's your choice then. It's Auerbach. Mine is Riley. Yeah. It's I think you're you're leaning towards Auerbach. I, I think. think I am leaning towards Auerbach. Right. Now, and you used a word that I think is very crucial Thank you. to this whole conversation today, which is arguably. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, again, we can always say arguably Auerbach is better. And I say, no, you know, Phil Jackson's better. Or, no, I think Pat Riley's better or, or you know, whoever it might be. Right. And we can argue about it. We can argue numbers. We can argue wins. We can argue styles. We can argue front office. Again, at the end of the day, there isn't anything concrete that gives us the greatest. Yeah. It's still an opinion. But there's one we differ on. Okay. All right. That's fine. Fair enough. Let's move to another sport. Fine, Garth. Fine. Let's move to another sport. We're moving to another sport. Good. Let's move to baseball, which to me is is mm. much, much harder than basketball. Well, there's to twice quantify. as many players, <laughs> that's, almost. That's, that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, and they use such a smaller ball. Yes, they do. Ted Williams is the greatest hitter of all time. I think I think I have to agree with that. Yeah, you told me that you told me that that's that's legally what he's called, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's contractually what he was called. Yes, he, he was yes, called yes, yes, he would have him. the The greatest living hitter was always what had to be announced before whenever he, he did announce an appearance, like any speaking appearance, appearances, yes, any speaking Hilarious. engagement. Yeah, I'll start doing that for myself. Just with contractually, the greatest living actor of all time it doesn't matter. This is in my contract. Um, <laughs> I like that idea. The greatest living actor of, of all, all time, <laughs> as opposed to all those great dead actors. <laughs> That's right. I don't count those guys. No. So we call Williams the greatest hitter for a bunch of reasons, right? I mean, this was the guy that had he had a 400 average. Mm-hmm. Last for, guy to have it, yeah, right? Yeah, last guy to have the 401. And uh, okay. and and uh, you mentioned something about his eyesight, right? Great eyesight. Yeah, a, a legendary eyesight. A guy who could pick up the spin of a ball when it left the pitcher's hands. So I guess the question is, when I think about Ted Williams, now again as a Yankee fan, I didn't really follow his numbers i didn't mm-hmm. follow his career i just know he's great yep but he doesn't have the most home runs right he doesn't have the most rbis right i don't know if he has the, the highest career average of all time maybe he does maybe he doesn't no he doesn't no. what makes him the greatest hitter then i mean there are guys that have more hits there's guys i mean pete rose has how many yep. you know a lot a lot mm-hmm. there's how many three thousand right guys you know yeah, yeah. four thousand one hundred ninety two is, is that, that what, rose right yeah so i mean you know there's or is that just the record was it four forty one ninety oh wait a minute no, forty-one ninety-two is that Cal Ripken's record? And that's when I think uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, isn't that? 
But but those guys that have more hits, guys that have more RBIs, guys that have more home runs, why is it that Williams is considered the greatest hitter? You know, we talk about, or, you know, scouts, managers talk about uh, five-tool players, guys who can run. One. So you've got speed. That's one. You've got being able to field. That's two. You can throw. That's three. Have a great arm and accurate. Then you hit for average. That's four. And hit for power. So there's your five tools. Yeah. All right. Ted Williams in the hitting category had both of those abilities. He could hit for average and he could hit for power. Uh, so okay. that immediately eliminates some of the greatest hitters. Right. Of Rose all time. Rose wasn't a big home run hitter. No, he's a gap hitter. Gotcha. Right. Wade Boggs at best. Right. A gap hitter. Really a single Tony hitter. Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, same way. Yep. Right. And so when it comes down to then are you gonna and then you just have the one dimensional power hitters. You have Babe Ruth. You have, you know, the Dave Kingman, sure. the Cecil Fielders, that sort of ilk. Not that I'm putting no, <laughs> but Cecil the, Fielder and Dave right, Kingman yeah. on that on that. But all uh, the steroid category. guys, too. I mean, the guys that were just power hitters. Exactly. Okay. You know, Barry Bonds might have walked his way into the uh, Ted Williams conversation had it not been for the steroids. Because he would have hit more gap he was hits. A, and well, and he was a pretty good, he was a guy with some power before all the drugs started. Right, so he still would have had home runs, but also would have hit a better, you know, hit for average as well. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Willie Mays probably has a has a, a claim to this uh, as well, a great power, but just the average wasn't quite the same with Mickey Mantle. Sure. Hank Aaron was a, a great But like I look at DiMaggio, well. right? We talked about DiMaggio last week when we talked exactly. about records that couldn't be broken. And even just the idea that he went on that hitting streak and then the hitting streak ended and then went on another hitting streak That's after right. that, that to me is a great hitter. And I see that tangibly. So when I, when I, you know, I always hear Ted Williams was the greatest hitter. Right. I always assume he is, but I'm just not sure what that how that's quantified right. and whether and it, that's arguable. Right. And, and the reason it's so difficult is because what we do – after a guy's career, is look at the totality of the career, what the final numbers are. What did right. he accrue? How many homers? How many doubles? How many RBIs? Right. Average. The reason Ted Williams then doesn't stack up against these guys right. is because three years in the prime of his career, age, this is now we're talking age 23, 24, and 25. Right. Okay? So the pr- the, definitely the prime of his career. Yeah. He did not play baseball. He was busy? He was busy fighting for our country in oh, World it was War, in the war. II. Yeah. Gotcha. So Ted Williams in the very prime of his career. So I think it was actually 24, 25, and 26. Okay. Um, but it was 43, 44, and 45. Right. You know, the final three years of World War II. He was a fighter pilot in World War II. He gave those years away in service of our, to our country, and those numbers are never going to be. Right, now, so he could have stacked up some more home runs. Yeah, if you, if you assume 25 homers a year, if you assume 90 RBIs, right. just solid years. Right, then his numbers are higher. Boy. So do you think people are taking that into account when they talk about him being the greatest hitter and they, they're just assuming that those three years would have been great as well? Yes, again, I think I'm just, they do. I'm just trying to bear out from baseball, which is such a statistics-based, like everything is about records and everything is about all stats, about numbers, right? Yep. That I don't see the numbers bearing out him being the greatest hitter, although if it's that he hit for average and power and other people didn't have that ability to the level that Ted Williams had, then okay, then I get it. Right. But I still think I would put arguably in front of his name. Well, I think you have to simply because there are so many players in Major League history, so many great, great hitters. Right. Um, and situation enters into all of these conversations, right? Whatever, however these players fell in the space of time, in the era of the game, and then wherever they fell on their individual ball clubs sure. and in the lifespan of those teams, who was hitting in front of them, who was hitting behind well, them, you've and said for to how me, long. You've said to me many times with regard to statistics that it's hard to gauge 
some players because some players played postseason and other players that were great never played a postseason game and that's didn't right. have those same numbers. That's right. And that's no fault on them. You've got to have in baseball, you've got to have the pitching. In football, you've got to have the blocking. You've got to have a defense right. that plays for you, all of those things. Now, does it come into play? We're talking about very different eras, right? Like mm. when Babe Ruth played and some will consider him a, you know, a, a great hitter. Right, in the dead ball era. Right, and now you have Ted Williams in a very different era playing right? Uh, as opposed to guys now like Bryce Harper or Mike Trout. Right. Uh or you know other guys that are great hitters of today yeah. that are uh, seeing more pitchers uh-huh. right absolutely per game yes than Ted Williams is seeing, seeing. more fresh pitchers right. every inning yeah. and the stadiums are different the balls are different the mound is different so how do we compare those do we put those in different categories or do we still say of all time meaning from now back to the beginning of baseball Ted Williams was the greatest hitter yeah I you know it, that's a, a great question and I think that's where y- an individual has to kind of make their decision are you going to be someone who just considers that the era in which we're watching is the greatest product baseball has ever delivered huh. and therefore if someone excels today they would have necessarily excelled years ago right there's an interesting there's a couple of interesting things here you reminded me of babe ruth for a moment there when you brought him up because of my weight in, well, <laughs> it, it, you're just your prodigious everything garth you know he there is a school of thought that he is actually short some career home runs due to a rule that we i actually meant to bring up in the in the podcast when we were talking about records uh, and we just the, the thread of the conversation went somewhere else, and so I never never put it out there. But you know, balls that bounced over the wall, what would commonly be known today as a ground, ground rule, rule double. double. What do you call it? Grounds rule double, or ground rules double, or ground rule double? Ground rule. That's double. Not, that's not that's not correct. It is the ground rule. <laughs> it is the ball that hits the ground and All right. then bounces somewhere. So it's All the right. ground All rule. Right. So ground rule double. Yes, those were home runs. Until 1931. You're kidding me. Right through the early prime of Babe Ruth, right through the wait, 1927 wait. If a, Yankee. If Babe Ruth yes. hit a baseball yep. and it bounced on the warning track and bounced over the wall. Ground rule was, double today. That was a home run. That's a home run. If he hit a little squibber, a Texas leaguer, over the third baseman's and that head and that took the a left turn into the, into the grandstands in foul territory. That's a home run. Home run. If it left the field to play wow. and bounced over the wall. So there are, you know... Uh, People who would surmise anywhere between or estimate anywhere between five and 40 home runs that Babe Ruth got because of that arcane rule. But then the foul poles in stadiums were much shorter and didn't have that little extra foot of netting on the side of it or now kind of a metal grid on the side yeah, of yeah. it that that catches that wasn't the ball. there that wasn't there and so a lot of people say he also lost out on some balls that he hit deep out of parks that curled around foul poles that were called foul because they ended up foul, landing in foul so territory even, even with the weird double ground rule double rule it sort of maybe bears it, it balances out. it might balance out might. yeah but it's an interesting it's a sort of an interesting thing to bring up now but you don't consider babe ruth the greatest hitter of all time because he struck out so damn much. yeah so many strikeouts yeah gotcha i would still want him up in the bottom of the ninth with my team behind right. i'd still want babe ruth there what about what about guys that we didn't keep records for like in the negro leagues and and you know before records well were you know there's there's uh the, the negro leagues did not uh have pristine record keeping this was due you know less to their fault than the fact that they were forced to do the kind of barnstorming thing where they were constantly moving yeah. around playing sometimes three games sure. three games in one day right there are baseball historians who you know, are regarded as as experts in this particular uh, place in the game right. that estimate where 
Josh Gibson's numbers fall in relation to Babe Ruth. Really? And on a per-plate appearance basis, the best estimations uh, of Josh Gibson's home runs per plate appearance are a fraction better than Babe Ruth's. Wow. And there's really not a lot of people who fight that idea because Josh Gibson was legendary. Well, let me ask you a question. Speaking of legendary, you know, Ted Williams is clearly a legend mm-hmm. as a hitter. Because we, he's considered the greatest hitter of all time, yep. or arguably the greatest hitter of all time, mm-hmm. what if someone comes along that's better? What if Bryce Harper, in the course of his career, if he yep. keeps up this pace, ends up being that great and and has better numbers, hits for average and power, and has better numbers than Williams? Because Williams is a legend, yeah. Do we do, does does he get replaced? Does that is that a title that can get shifted? What it often comes down to the thing that separates, not just you know this this separates MVPs from the also rands in that right. race. It's but it also separates Hall of Famers from not and then greatest players of all time from not. Is the, in the final analysis, did you win? Did you win big? Teddy Williams never won a World Series, huh. and that that sits on his record through no fault of his own in right. a game that you know very regularly involved 13 or 14 other players on his own team didn't get the job done didn't happen for him and right. and and that holds him back well let's not go as too many positions to uh, pick best in in baseball but let's sure. talk about clearly best reliever that's a done deal that's done. you know yeah, mariana rivera of, there's no arguably in front of that that's just rivera is the greatest of all time yeah over the length and breadth of time and because also the position is relatively new in the scope of the right. the, the, the lifetime of baseball right it's kind of an easy is there someone like like we say with jordan is there someone that is the greatest baseball player of all time hmm i mean to me then that's where think people like Ruth come into play because of uh, right. just what Gehrig. he did for the game. Gehrig, right? Dimaggio, Hank you know, Aaron. you you then you then start talking about true, true five right. uh, tool players. This is where Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, yeah, uh, you know, and honestly, it's you know, for me, most likely, if I were you know in front of a firing squad and had to say who it was, I'd probably choose Willie Mays. Willie Mays because he had bl- he was blindingly fast. Right, he had great power. He had an arm that. You know, was the uh, the equal of anybody who's ever played the game. He could field his position. Everybody knows about it. you know everybody. When you think of Willie Mays, you think of one play. Right. You know, is back to the over the shoulder uh, catch, back to the there. plate catch against Vic Wirtz, by the way, the Cleveland Indians. And then he was able to hit for average when he needed to. You know, uh, also scored one of the biggest runs in the history of the game because he was on third base when Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard around the world. Wow, so so I, I don't think I'll argue with you. I think I'd put Willie Mays as the greatest player of all yeah. time. And again, that's something that can change given the way Mike Trout plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that we might be seeing you know, 20 years from now. I might be thinking very differently about who the Maybe. greatest player was. Let's hope so. And Let that be know, great. Some, somebody might show up tomorrow. Then, you know, Didi Gregorius. Yeah, God, if only, <laughs> if only that poor kid. Uh, great, let's move on to a team that you talked about. Ted Williams, you know, his numbers and his career being affected by the fact that there were 13 other guys he had to deal with. Yeah. Even more so is football. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I think it's hard It's hard not to just talk about greatest quarterback. Yes, it right? is. Greatest wide receiver, we both agree we've had this conversation, is Terry Rice. Yeah, it's very difficult to dispute that. And and that's also because he had a great quarterback. Right, and not just one. Right. But, you know, so, one of the what, probably the only uh, top ten wide receiver in the history of the game to play with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, I would guess. Wow. 
So we both agree about Jerry Rice. Sure. Great. Let's look at, uh, I think, running back you can also quantify because that's really about numbers, right? It is about numbers, but it's also about eras. There's a there's a line of demarcation between those you know bell cow running backs who led those offenses in the first 50 years of the game and then uh, once Bill Walsh came along with the West Coast offense and the value of a running back who could catch the ball as well as run became paramount in the history of the game. And now if you don't have a guy who can catch as well as run, you kind of can't win. Adrian Peterson is a phenomenal back, and it's not that he really is is a guy who can't catch the ball. He just hasn't been asked to do it for the most part because through his career, Minnesota hasn't had a quarterback who was all that accurate. Right. Um, so let's go. Let's go without the catching. You know, the non-catching running yeah, backs. The, the greatest, the greatest uh, running back, most likely of the first fifty years of the game, is probably still Jim Brown. Walter Payton? No. No. I mean, I love Walter Payton. Um, I don't think Walter Payton was one of the slipperiest running backs you'll ever see, and would run over guys when he needed to. Sure. Jim Brown was a one-cut kind of runner who could make guys miss in the open field in a different sort of way from Walter Payton, but he would run. He was the strongest man on the field every time he stepped on the field. Because it's hard because, I mean, Eric Dickerson still has the yardage record, yes, right? Yes, he does, and just over O.J. Simpson. And guys like uh, Tony Dorsett. Yep, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders. I mean, Barry Emmett Sanders Smith. was a, you know ran differently than anybody. I mean, he was elusive. Absolutely, right? yes. He was possibly the only running back in the history of the game that didn't need an offensive line, and certainly the only uh, great running back who very rarely did have an offensive wow. line. Wow. So, so I guess, I mean, Jim Brown, you're saying Jim Brown because – the numbers bear it out, and he the st- and the way he ran was in different. sort of the same way we talk about the uh, the hitting for average and hitting for power in baseball. He was a guy who could make guys miss and also run them over. And I think that I think the hitting for power, hitting for average idea can be we can translate that to other sports, yes, right? We can. I mean, you can have running backs that are fast, running backs that are elusive, running backs that have a lot of yardage. But when you combine the two skills of speed and power, yeah. Uh, then you then you're looking at at, at the special at the player, greatest. right? Yeah. All right. I mean, I I'm not going to argue with about Jim Brown. I think there is an argument there. I think people might argue Dickerson. Oh, I think sure. people might argue. Uh, I might even argue. I I might argue Walter Payton. P- um, somebody a, a great many people, and most of them in Dallas, but a great many people would argue Emmett Smith. Yeah. You know, because he's got the record. That's right. Know? That's and right. That's true too. And he has two. And he has Super Bowls as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's got a bunch of them. So there's that. And quarterback. You know, this is this is where it's hard. I mean, because I think you and I, we've talked a lot about football. We both, uh, I know we both feel the same way about Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Brett Favre. Yeah. And uh, Dan Marino, Dan I know Mo- you love. I, you know, Dan Marino. It's funny. I, I was never a Dolphin fan, but Dan Marino, I just always loved watching him throw. He was amazing. Yeah. And and he still has records, right? Most yardage, I think, or, or maybe did, did I don't know. I did think Peyton, Manning's got them all now. Yeah. yeah, and and you know Peyton Manning, it's you know he's still playing, and it's at the end of his career, and he's had to switch teams, and he's had the injury, and all you of know, that. You know, it's funny. I realize when you and I talk about quarterbacks, we talk about Montana, we talk about Favre, Favre, we talk about Dan Marino, we don't talk about Peyton. We Manning. mentioned Brady even. Yeah, Brady and, Manning, and Manning, didn't, Manning well, we, didn't come up, but yeah. very, you know, it very much. Uh, like we didn't mention who Hakeem did we mention? Yeah, very. Yeah. Uh, just like we didn't mention Hakeem Olajuwon the last Hakeem Olajuwon of football. Well, no, I would say uh, Peyton Manning. I would take him over Tom Brady if I had to win a game. I would take him over Dan Marino if I had to win a game. Peyton Manning is very close to uh, Joe Montana in, uh, and and actually, you know what? If Peyton Manning had played in the West Coast offense yeah. in the eighties, I those numbers know, would be staggering. I, yeah, I really do think they would be. I think Peyton Manning might be the greatest field general quarterback there's ever been. I always 
feel badly for a guy like John Elway, who never another really, guy, yeah, another never guy really had receivers, right? I mean, he had yeah. some, but never really had. You never, never had, had a Jerry great Rice. offense. Never had a great running back. Right. Never had, yeah. Well, I mean, didn't have a great running back until uh, Terrell sure. Davis showed up. John Elway started winning Super Bowls. Right. At the end of his career, when he stopped doing a lot of the kind of crazy John Elway, Fran Tarkenton, Archie Manning stuff that sure. he used to do. Um, and that Brett Favre got away with early in his career in right. Green Bay. A great quarterback. So why do we call Montana the greatest and not Tarkenton or Johnny Unitas or Favre or Marino or Elway or Manning or Brady? Well, I think you can. I mean, this there, is a, yeah, this this is an is, arguably. This is a, uh, I mean, a, is a huge argument. Well, you know, what it comes down to is, you know, most of those players probably thrive in Bill Walsh's offense as well. And most of those guys you just mentioned, not all of them, but most of those guys you mentioned had better arms than Joe Montana did as well. Huh. Joe Montana did not have a great deep ball arm. He had a pretty good one, but he didn't need a great deep ball arm because he was so incredibly accurate in the West Coast offense, asked him to throw the ball between 5 and 15 yards downfield 90% right. of the time. And this to me is where the, where the arguable point really comes to a head because, you know, you take Elway and put him in Montana's place. Right. Let them switch bodies, you know, mm -hmm. and names, I guess, too. Uh -huh. But, you know, have Elway playing on those teams with Walsh and the, the West Coast offense, and maybe now we're considering him the greatest of all time, right? Possibly, and yet what what can't be forgotten is that when John Elway came into the game, his greatest detriment was how powerful his arm was. Gotcha. He wasn't so great at taking, taking it off, taking speed off the ball, right. and he would break guys' hands. He'd throw the ball right through somebody. And in the West Coast offense, that wouldn't work so well when you're throwing 5 and 15 yeah. yards. So, so this, is the, this is a large class of great players. It and it's really hard, is. It's, it's hard not to say Brady's the greatest of all time because of the number of Super Bowls that he has now. But you know, again, those can also cloud your judgment because yeah. of how many people are involved in delivering. Because the Super Marino Bowl. has, I just made a zero with my hands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. I was, I was just like, he's got something hovering over the top of his head. Marino has none. None. But the guy is still considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. Right. I think when it comes down to pure throwing, like watching a guy throw and watching a guy play a game, Marino's the greatest. I don't know. I think I'd take Elway. Really? Yeah. Over Marino. Over watching a guy act just like just pure throwing the ball. But I think we both agree. We're both in agreement that's Montana is yeah. the greatest. Uh, yeah. With, the, with a lot of uh, maybes. And Manning's sitting right there on his shoulder for me too. Yeah, it's funny. We never talked about Manning. We talked about this a lot, and it's like, yeah. wait, we never bring up Manning. Yeah, and here's a guy who never really had a great team around him. Still has never really had a great team around sure. him. He w finally won in Indianapolis and probably in the worst Super Bowl ever played. But talk about a field general. Talk about a guy that's you know calling the shots on the field and Absolutely. making stuff happen out of nothing, really. Yeah, like the thinking man's quarterback, Peyton Manning. So this is one where maybe when it's all said and done, maybe next year when Manning retires or the year after or when his head after. falls off, exactly. that, uh, that maybe we do... You know, change our minds and decide that he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, he'll have to win one more Super Bowl, I think, to to cement, yeah, or that. at least get there. Yeah, I can't help but notice when we talk about greatests that we talk about winning. Mm -hmm. I mean, Marino, no, it's hard to escape. Marino, yeah. no, Williams didn't have a World Series, but DiMaggio had so many that he overshadows Williams, who was probably a better player right. during the, in so his era. So, are there great coaches or great players that, because of the situation they were in, the teams they were on, or the teams they were handed? will never get mentioned in the greatest categories. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, Archie Manning was a great, great quarterback, and he was playing for the New Orleans a crappy Saints. team, right? I mean, just a historically bad team. Uh, he's one of the ones that uh, leaped to mind for me. Um, Don Mattingly played on a terrible 10-year yeah. uh, collection of <laughs> Yankee teams following the 81 World Series. Right. 
and just as you know his team started to get good his his back problems really reared you know their it's ugly head and forced him out of the game don mattingly's a guy who you know might have been one of the greatest of all time had he had anybody around him he, he was playing with dale barra and Deion <laughs> sanders for goodness sake are there are there great players who be, are great because the teams they were on and if you were to put them on other teams i, I always think about you know one a winning baseball career jorge posada had and how mm-hmm. how revered he is, right? Yep. He just retired his number or put a plaque in in Monument Park or yeah, something. We right? spoke about that. Um, that was my was that was that clear enough in the way yeah. I said that? <laughs> if we took Jorge Posada and instead of coming up in in the Yankees in '94, he went to Kansas City or Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Would he have been? Would we still be talking about him? I don't know if we'd know his name, right? Honestly, I mean, I think he's a, a very fine player, and he might have he might have had a career. Yeah. Yeah, um, but might I have wonder. Been a good, like two seventy hitter with you know a couple of thirty. Home but that's run why I wonder if there's there. guys playing right now that are in basketball, baseball, football, hockey, whatever it might be, that are on a team mm-hmm. that isn't winning, doesn't have a winning mentality, and has skills, but you know we're never going to see it because they're stuck there. Or is it just that greatness is greatness? We see it, it gets traded to a winning team, and we go from there. <laughs> it gets traded to a winning team, or make something happen around around them. You know the games. All the games are littered with those with those players. You know the Buffalo Sabers, for instance, had one of the all time greats in Gilbert Perrault. Uh, he played in the seventies. That he made one cup and was sort of after nineteen seventy five, surrounded by lesser supporting casts as the years went on. Right. And just never sort of like he scored over five hundred goals as an NHL player. He's a Hall of Famer. But he might have been one of the greatest the game had ever seen had he had more offensive talent around him. Or had to, he gotten traded to a better team. Yeah, had he been a Montreal Canadian, Gilbert <laughs> Perrault would be a legend. And he's a guy that not a lot of people know about. But um, it's safe to say that it's safe to say that the great ones, right, the greatest mm-hmm. that we talk about in all of these sports are the greatest. And they rise to greatness because they're great, not because of the team they're on. For instance, Gretzky, or stay with hockey, Whoa, yeah. the great one. You know, yeah. legitimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's nobody better ever that played the game. There's great players. There's the Gordie Howe and there's the, right. you know, Bobby, uh, Orr. Bobby Orr, you know, guys that were legendary players. But no one's greater and no one's better at hockey than Wayne Gretzky. And if Wayne Gretzky got put on some crappy team, he still would have been great. Yes and no. The uh, He absolutely would have been great. Uh, he was there were two things working in Wayne Gretzky's favor. Uh, three things. One, he was, you know, just a generational beyond that talent, a once in a lifetime talent. The other two things were the era he, in which he played, which right. was a freewheeling brand of hockey. Fit his style. Yes, with small goalies and small equipment and smaller players. Okay. Uh, bigger ice surfaces for the most part, particularly in the Western Conference where the Edmonton Oilers resided. And then finally, he was surrounded by a collection of teammates that. I mean, it's just the, the Issa Tikkanen's, the... Uh, but you don't the, think greatness prevails? I mean, look at LeBron. Well, he his, was playing aside. Listen, the top two goal scorers in the history of the NHL, top two point scorers in the history of NHL are Wayne Gretzky and Marc Messier. Right. Marc Messier was his teammate, his line mate in Edmonton. That that doesn't take into account all of the other great players on that team. And there was right. a handful of them. I won't go into detail about that now. Well, Everybody like knows who those But like the 96 were. Yankees were littered with, with yeah, great Yeah, or players. the 1927 Yankees. Right, be, right. Murderers you know, Row, right. Even clearer, yeah. 
But LeBron comes to to Cleveland and doesn't win, right? But then he comes back to Cleveland and still hasn't won, not yet. <laughs> but but is surrounded. But he's still great. We're still watching greatness. Absolutely. But we were watching greatness with Dan Marino was playing too, yeah. and he never won. You're right. You know the the ones that I think sort of support this sort of argument is the uh, is last year's Kansas City Royals. That Kansas City Royals team was a bunch of nobodies, right? Well, for years was a bunch of nobodies. There was just you know you for could, years they were a Yankee farm team, is what they were. Absolutely, for you know a couple of decades. Yeah. And I mean, like this is going back to the fifties. They were a Yankees right, farm right. team, right? You know, Roger Maris came from the Kansas City Royals. Alex Gordon of the Kansas City Royals has been there for a, a good many years, and we said, oh yeah, he's a pretty good player. But nobody really talked about him until the Royals made the World Series, and then when they did. Alex Gordon was a legitimate superstar. Uh, Kendra Morales, uh, right, you know. name, names you've heard all throughout baseball, but yeah. don't resonate doesn't don't resonate with you the same way that Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, you know, uh, Big Poppy. Certainly, I mean, but to a great extent because every single one of those guys were in media centers as well. You yeah, know, that's they, true. They, you know, they won Poppy won World Championships. Obviously, Jeter won World right. Championships, but Mike Trout hasn't. Uh, and those guys are in big media centers in Kansas City. Those guys can get lost. So there are guys that those Kansas City Royals, like that's a really fine collection of baseball players that still, after the World Series, they've kind of disappeared again. Right. You know? And I guarantee you, come September and October, we're going to hear from them again. And it's because those are great players, but especially in this day and age, and really even you know going over you know over the decades past, if you didn't play in New York or Chicago or Boston, Boston or Los or, Angeles, right. you know you didn't get the the pub that these guys get. Well, but that's the thing is you look at these great players around the world, right? Like I laugh when we think about the Yankees are world champions. Well, no, they're American champions. They exactly. didn't play the teams from Japan or China or Cuba or Dominican Republic, right? right? But the truth is, these great players in Japan, these great players in Cuba, these great they want to play. For the Yankees. Yes, they They do. want to play for the Boston Red Sox. They don't want to play for Kansas City Royals. No. They don't want to play for the Detroit Tigers. And they don't. Right, and they El don't. El comes here. Right, yeah. because those, these these big market teams can afford them. Yeah. No, it was, uh, listen, I, I think it was great to see a small market team make it to the World Series yep. like that and compete. Yeah. And, and play a great World Series. That's right. Um, but again, I feel like we all went, okay. Go back now. Go back to the shed. I guess so. I, I don't because I'm a small market guy. That's right. You know, I'm. I, that's where I grew up. I'm a Yankee fan, but that's just because my dad was a Yankee fan, and after that, I'm a small market Buffalo guy. Right. And so I really do root for the small guys. I I grew up watching. I mean, like the uh, the prime of my baseball watching career was the Yankees against the Kansas City Royals. The George Brett, Dan right. Quisenberry, right. you know, U uh, L Washington, Freddie Pontek, Kansas City Royals. And I hated those guys. And as soon as the Yankees went bad and then Kansas City went bad and then the Yankees started to resurge again and Kansas City just you know, lay dormant, right. I missed him. Huh. I missed him. And I'm happy to see him back because yeah. that's part of my youth, too. Well, listen, we talked about hockey briefly, but I yes. think there's no argument there, right? It's Gretzky, period. It's Gretzky, uh, you know, I, Lemieux and Messier and all those guys, but it's, you know, because of the era in which he played and Bobby Orr, obviously, right. Gordie Howe. But uh, it's just impossible to argue with his numbers. And in football, the other one I wanted to ask you about was things like greatest defense. But that to me is the it's the eighty five Bears. The Bears, right? Yeah, I mean, that was sort there of... have been great ones. The two thousand Ravens are fabulous, but the the eighty five Bears, you know, they they kind of changed the way people looked at the game. Greatest field goal kicker of all time is it still Jan Stenerud? Daryl like Yepremian. He just died. Yepremian. 
Yeah. Oh boy. Um, what about know, the guy, the the kicker? That's that's Gary alive? Anderson. The guy now that that kicked for the Patriots forever and. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you could make a real argument for him. That guy. <laughs> the hell is his name are you talking about adam Vinatieri? Vinatieri, like Vinatieri's yeah. in that argument right yeah absolutely it's particularly when it comes to clutchness which when it comes down to kickers is really all you're i guess so for. i mean who's the guy that has the longest that had half the foot that was in the guinness book of world tom Records? dempsey doesn't have it yeah. anymore but tom dempsey had it yeah. doesn't have the foot anymore it never had the foot <laughs> didn't, have the, didn't have the record anymore <laughs> he actually had the foot it was in a jar in his apartment he gotcha. moved he lost it but really it is about clutch right it's about yeah. who's hitting those field goal field goals at the end of big games and all that stuff that's right um well let's uh well what about golf? I mean, golf, sure. it, I feel like golf is the easiest one almost because it's all about how many things you've won. Kind of, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, I would really say no Tiger, other way to... to but it's to, hard to say Tiger Woods is not the greatest golfer because it's Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas or yeah. going even further back to guys whose names I can't remember. Chai Chai Rodriguez? Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> not even further back, like the guys yeah. that wore the funny hat and funny pants. Oh, yeah, Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan, that's I was saying Chi Chi Rodriguez. Just, yeah. yeah, Ben Hogan. But the greatest golfer of all time is going to come down to... How many championships you've won, right? That's right. And that's right now. That's still, still, still Jack Nicholas. Still Jack Nicholas. And it looks like it's going to be Jack Nicholas. Because Tiger Woods is done. Yeah, because it looks like Tiger's done. And it also looks like we are in sort of a golden age of great golfers. And no one is going to be able to rise above the rest. Right, because you know, every time we think it's going to be Roy McIlroy, he he falls apart again. Right. And I don't think he falls apart again because that's who Roy McIlroy is. I think right. he falls apart again because he looks around and says, look at all these other good guys standing right. around me. Right. I guess that's that's the interesting thing to me about golf when it's a one-person sport as opposed to a team sport yeah. is that when Nicholas was playing, was he surrounded by other amazing players? He was. I mean, you know, he was playing at the tail end of Arnold Palmer's career. He was playing. I mean, there were some great players around. There was Gary Player. There was Lee Sam Trevino. Sneed. There was uh, Sam Snead, I think, might have been a little bit before He was still him. hanging around. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'll defer to you. Uh, there were, there you know, that Tom guy. There well, uh, Tom Watson That's was, you know, uh, he, he was in the first half of his career as Nicholas was in the last half of his career. Tom I'll... Kite was around. There were great players around him. Uh, Jack Nicholas was just that much better. Just the way Tiger Wood was just that much better than and Mickelson and the rest. That's the difference between guys like Roy McIlroy, who may be a great golfer, but but someone like Tiger Woods was transcendent. I mean, he was so much better than everyone else. Yep. When he was in his prime and he was winning by 13 strokes mm-hmm. and 14, ridiculous, and breaking records, and, yep. and Nicholas was the same way. Yeah. But so we'll call Nicholas the greatest golfer of all time. I think we have to still, and, and part of that is just because of how, when it comes to golf, talent is first and foremost, and right on its shoulders because of the nature of the game, as we said, it's an individual sport, right. is temperament. And as we find, and we saw this right, we saw this early in Tiger's career, that if something was going to catch him, it was probably going to be temperament. And in a lot of different ways, it you was. can make an argument that it was. And Jack Nicholas's temperament, he was always even keeled. And Arnold Palmer, greatest drink. Uh, well, without question. <laughs> Come on. All right. Uh, here's an easy one for you. Yeah. Horse racing. Now, that jockeys, is an easy one. Jockeys, I couldn't tell you who the greatest were, but there's probably somebody that was the greatest. Well, Billy Shoemaker was. But we think about horses, right? <laughs> I could, I could start naming yeah. jockeys. This is how yeah, you sad my life is. Apparently, <laughs> I was just like, I'm like, I suddenly like four, and then five, and then six guys come to mind, and I'm like, am I really gonna sit here and run off jockeys? That's, I'm that's, not. It's pretty I'm sad. I'm not gonna name jockeys. Um, but Sorry. with, uh, with, I mean, there, not not no. to put them down at all, but it's right. the horses. So that American Pharaoh, you know, is definitely, you know, triple crown winner. It's hard not to say one of the greatest. Uh, affirmed, obviously, is up there because Triple Crown. But, but yep, Seattle Slough. But Secretariat, right? Nothing beats. 
Nothing beats Secretary. I got a couple stats for you. I would like. like them. Okay, let me see if I can get them right. Okay. It's the second fastest Belmont ever run. Second fastest Belmont ever run. Okay. Ever run. The fastest was Secretariat. Great. Uh, by, I think, a second and a half, something like that. But it was it was faster. Sure. Uh, it was the third largest uh, margin of victory ever in terms of length. Okay. Okay. Uh, the second was by a horse uh, back from the 30s or 40s. I can't. The horse's name slips my mind right now. But the f- you can the even say the horse's name was slips my mind because there I you go. Yes, yes, slips my mind. Uh, one by <laughs> uh, by six lengths. Okay. Uh, American Pharaoh won by five and a half. Secretariat won the Belmont by 31 lengths. <laughs> now remember, as American Pharaoh came to the finish line, right. and it really as they turned for home, it just you. I think everybody started looking. He's not going to get challenged. Right. He's going to win, and he's pulling away. Right, but with Secretariat. Look at how was, big that lead right. is. Secretariat, it was as if every horse fell down at yeah, the starting gate. there wasn't even gate. a horse anywhere near him. I mean, you couldn't, like, you, you take the panoramic lens on your camera, and you still are only going to catch the next horse. So taking nothing away from American Pharaoh's win, or or uh, even Affirm's win, or Seattle Slew's right. great career, no one dominated, no horse dominated horse racing the way the Secretariat did. Never. In fact, you know, Sports Illustrated, if I'm not mistaken, was Sports Illustrated a few years ago, did the 100 greatest athletes of all time. I think they did it at the turn of the century a few years ago. I'm sure. saying it. I think it was back in 2000. Yeah. And Secretariat was uh, on that list. Listed as, <laughs> as one of the greatest athletes of all time. Well, yes. Listen, and you can't argue with it. I mean, the Triple Crown itself is an amazing accomplishment, the fact that so few horses have done it. But mm-hmm. if what you're saying is true, and I'm assuming it is, it is. that the, the way in which Secretariat won the Triple Crown automatically no argument there greatest horse uh in yeah. horse racing of all time it comes down to parenting as as most of these sports do yes they do um that leaves us with i guess uh tennis yes right i guess if we have to if we have to but yeah. you no. now we've had this conversation before we have about you know guys that are playing now mm-hmm. that are dominant and, and amazing your Djokovic's and your nadals and your Federer's yeah. and sampras and all those guys right yeah uh, as opposed to guys from earlier, Arthur Ashe or even in the Bjorn Borg and right. Ivan Lendl era. And the difference being... John McEnroe, yeah. The difference and being... Equipment for equipment. me. Yes, equipment. That, uh, you know, now we're playing with... It's a different with, game, right? Yes, all of these graphite and these hybrid uh, uh, rackets that just have changed the way the angles of the balls can be hit, the speed of the ball, obviously. Right. Um, and what we now know about, you know, as we speak about athletes all the time, nutrition and sure. rest and training weight and training and all of that. But we've talked about, you know, Federer is regarded as the greatest, I think, at this point. I think right? so, yeah. Um, I mean, Djokovic has had his chances. Nadal had it for a while, but really is sort of yeah. faded, right? Federer had that sustained period of dominance gotcha. in the early 2000s to through the mid-2000s. And you put him above just... guys like Agassi and and, uh, and Yvonne Lendl and, and guys, Jimmy Connors, McEnroe, guys Yeah, like I think you put him well above. Of Agassi and Connors, uh, Lendl, I think, also had a pretty sustained period there coming out of the Borg era. Yeah, nobody of, liked him, uh, though. Nobody liked him. Uh, it turns out he's a great guy. Apparently, a, yeah. I mean, in fact, <laughs> he's coaching somebody. Yeah, right? he might have been coaching Federer for yeah, a little I think while. Or either one, either or Djokovic Nadal, or one or of those maybe. Guys. Oh, maybe it's Djokovic. Yeah. You might be right. Anyway. Um, and then Nadal beat Federer and looked like he was going to be the next guy. And then Djokovic came yeah. on the scene as well. And those guys have now been bouncing back and forth. And every now and then still, Federer wins. After kind of after the fall, Federer still pops his head up and takes a major every now and then. So, and we, so we can argue Federer is the greatest player of all time. We, but, but you're talking about a guy that's playing with different equipment than Bjorn Borg played. Exactly. I, you played. know, Borg, one of the great volley games of all time. Uh, you know, not to mention John McEnroe, sure. one of the two possibly greatest volleyers of all time in a sport that does not see a lot of volleys anymore. Right. There's a lot of baseline games. Sampras in there? Is Sampras is absolutely in there. Um, you know, Sampras and Federer, to me, are like these guys that just like, they're 
bigger than most everybody else. Djokovic moves into this as well. They were just bigger, so do we stronger, bigger into, hitters. Into two different eras of greatest. I then? do. You know. You know. Very much in the same way that we have to separate dead ball versus live ball. We have to separate. You know, the, before the West Coast offense to after the West Coast right. offense. Um, goal. You know, hockey. We have to separate from the way the game is called these days and the way it was then, and the size of the goalies and the and the equipment that they wear. We have to separate the difference between wooden rackets and metal and graphite. Would you rather if we had to then figure out who the greatest of all time was, right? If we could do this, you know, the space-time continuum, whatever, right. bring guys back and have them play, would you rather see Federer mm-hmm. play Bjorn Borg with wooden rackets or see Federer play Bjorn Borg in today's game with graphite? Wow, that's a great question. I think I would rather see uh, him play with wooden rackets just because simply I think it's a better test of skill. The heads of the rackets were smaller. Yeah. The amount of control you had over the racket was less. Right. You know, there's a lot of sort of help that you're given because of how well these rackets are designed these days. And now it just comes down to pure tennis skill. Yeah. All right. You know, uh, um, I don't think B- Bjorn Borg, to be fair, I don't think Bjorn Borg could withstand the power that Federer could impose on the game in with today's equipment. Huh. He would be a smaller guy. And maybe maybe it's different with weight training and all of that. But just the sheer size of these guys, you know, just the way that I don't think Chris Everett could stand up against Serena Williams. Just the sheer size difference between right. the two of them. Right. The power. As strong as Martina was and as strong as people like Hingis was very, was yep. had a lot of strength. And uh, Steffi Lindsay Graf Davenport, too, right? Steffi Graf, but absolutely. Can't, can't compete with the likes of, of Serena's because the sheer size and strength of her game is amazing. Is, yeah. And she and we're going to go with she's. I'm assuming she's the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean she's certainly on her way. Steffi Graf still she's still got a few more to catch Steffi Graf. Uh, a few more wins. A few more major wins. Gotcha. Um, she just got her twentieth in so the French. So we're going to call Steffi Graf the greatest of all time. Um, until uh, such time that Serena gets these wins. You know, I think I would call her the greatest. Now, what what we can't forget also comes in here is that Martina Navratilova and Serena, along with Venus, a lot of those major championships are doubles and. That muddies the water a little bit, okay. um, uh, but I still think I give it to to Serena, even though I don't think Steffi had too many doubles. Huh. Uh, well, arguably, call Serena Williams the best female tennis player of all yeah. time. Who is the greatest sports figure you can think of that you didn't get to see play and that you would have liked to? Bo Jackson. Really? Yeah, yeah. I would like to have seen Bo Jackson. He's number one on my list. Uh, for me, is Jesse Owens. Okay. I would have loved to have seen that. Live. Hard to beat that. Yeah, yeah I, just I mean, would love to have seen that live, you know, yeah. or at least televised, other yeah. than the black and white films. Stood that up we to see. Hitler. You know, that's talk about great athletes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Talk about, you know, presence situation. of mind. And yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I'm sure that we've left some people off of uh, any of these lists. Or again, we're talking about arguably the greatest players that we've named and we've thought of, or the greatest athletes that we've named and thought of. If you've got a different opinion, by all means, tweet at us at Playball Podcast. You can email us your thoughts at info at playballpodcast.com. If you haven't gone to iTunes yet, to subscribe, go do that. And while you're there, Sean, please give us some stars. Yeah, give us stars and call us the greatest podcast uh, you've ever heard. Arguably. Well, we can put that on our contract. Arguably. And there's no argument that Christopher Gurr is going to be opening in Amazing Grace starting previews June 25th at the Nederlander Theater. Don't forget to go to AmazingGraceMusical.com to get your tickets today. Playball Podcast is a Yes It Is production in association with Laura Haywood Media, B11 Entertainment, and the great one, Sean. Play ball! That was great. Wasn't the greatest. Arguably. Arguably. Arguably.